All right. Want to read the thing for us? Here we go. Viewed from above, the southeastern corner of California presents a visual puzzle. The Sonoran Desert is easily identified. It's that broad beige and brown expanse carpeting the southwestern United States and northeastern New Mexico. And here and there, it's pushed up into mountain ranges and down into deep, flat valleys. Many of those valleys look like you'd expect to find in a desert. But then there's the Imperial Valley, where the broad, straight lines of canals dissect squares of lush farmland into a hundred shades of green, running in a broad swath all the way to the Mexican border. At the head of the valley, sparkling like a sapphire in the constant sunshine, is a lake so enormous it looks like a mistake. A lake without any apparent source or outflow, just set in the desert sand like a piece of carelessly dropped costume jewelry. In 2003, an astronaut aboard the ISS was so taken with the view of Imperial Valley that they used an early digital camera to capture the vivid shapes and colors below. They are beautiful images. NASA ran the pictures as their photo of the day on November 10th of that year. But there's something troubling about the zoomed-in images of the water, an abstract swath of neon turquoise. At first glance, it looks like a flaw in the camera lens, or perhaps a sandbar, one made of fluorescent sand. The truth is more unnerving. It's an algae bloom, an overgrown colony of toxic cyanobacteria, and its size indicates a dangerously high level of nitrates and phosphates in the water. Despite its setting in this lush farmland, and despite the pristine look of the water, this bloom, large enough to be observed from space, tells us that the health of this lake, and indeed the entire valley, is in serious jeopardy. On this episode of Relative Disasters, the creation and poisoning of the Salton Sea. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my brother and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events and their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Ella, hazmat lifeguard here at Relative Disasters Yacht Club. And I'm her brother Greg, retreating waterfront property realtor at the Relative Disasters Real Estate Group. That's a growth market right there. Uh, it's more of a shrink market, to be honest. Fair. Going to run out of Fair water assessment. front at some point. See. <laughs> well, it just moves further back. But until yeah. then, it's uh, incredibly valuable. So good for you. Uh, today we are talking about an environmental disaster. Now there are some floods in this, but it's not Johnstown. Okay. This is not right. an episode that's going to have a ton of human casualties. A ton of human casualties so far. <laughs> <laughs> because I need a break. I got you. Okay, there are some really good books and articles on the creation and the sludgification of the Salton Sea. Our main source for this episode is an Atlantic article called Toxic Dust from a Dying California Lake by Chris Ivenko for the Atlantic in uh, 2015. Okay, and okay. I also kind of got a few things from Salt Dreams, which is a book by William Du Bois from 1999. It's got a really interesting historical perspective. The Salton Sea is an enormous lake in the middle of the Colorado Desert, which is a part of the Sonoran Desert, as you said. 
Okay. It lies in California's Imperial Valley in the southeastern part of the state. And it's coincidentally right on top of the Mojave segment of the San Andreas Fault. Huh. That's one reason why it's so low. It's actually 230 feet below sea level. Wow. And okay. only five feet higher than Death Valley. So it's the second lowest point in North America. Okay. Very low. That is very low. Do you want some more stats? Bring them. Uh, the Salton Sea is very, very salty. Okay. Good branding. Okay. It's much saltier than the Pacific Ocean. It has a salinity of four and a half percent. This is Whoa. actually too salty for most fish and sea creatures to survive. Yeah. Uh, it's also, as we alluded to in our intro piece, super dirty. Okay. Big old dirty lake. Fish hate it uh, because it's hard to live in. Nope. <laughs> but birds love it. The Salton Sea has an incredibly biodiverse bird population with over 400 species living there or visiting. Huh. So because of where it lies in the desert, and it really is kind of in the middle of the desert. Sure. It's a huge stopover for migrating birds heading from Alaska to Patagonia. Okay. Uh, geologically, because you know I love a good geology sidebar. Yep. The Salton Sea is a rift lake since it lies on a fault. Okay. So the lake and its surrounding valley are in a shear zone. That's a part of the fault where the fault itself is under a lot of pressure from both sides due to deformations in the strata. This creates a weakness in the fault and a lot of strain around the deformation, which is usually miles deep underground. Okay. That's the kind of pressure that builds up over time and gets released by earthquakes. Okay. So there's actually a cluster of geothermal energy plants on the shore of the lake, which takes advantage of this warm underground. Okay. So people talk about the Salton Sea as a modern kind of artificial lake, and we'll get there in a minute. But for some background, this enormous depression the lake lies in is called the Salton Trough or the Salton Sink. It's been there for hundreds of thousands of years, and during that time it's been flooded a number of times due to the Colorado River, which is our supporting player of this episode. Okay. The Colorado River runs nearby on the other side of the Chocolate Mountain Range. Ooh. Did you know that was a real place? I did not, and now I want to eat it. I was playing Candyland with your kids recently, and that's what it made me think of. Yeah. <laughs> The first lake we can give a name to that was in the Salton Sink is Lake Cahuilla, which filled up in 700 CE when the Colorado got a little silty at the Gulf and backed up into the valley. Lake okay. Cahuilla lasted in various shapes until the 16th century. Cool. By 1580, it was completely dried up and the trough was a desert. There's oh. very little groundwater in this area or in Southern California as a whole. So until 1905, or actually until 1900, the valley is just a big old desert. Okay. You're curious about what happened in 1900. Well, now I am. Let me scroll down. <laughs> okay. In 1900, the governor of California was a man named James Budd. And ah. he is... Okay, it's not just him. <laughs> <laughs> It's yes. him plus a bunch of, like, fairly, we could just say brand new corporations that sprang up uh, mysteriously. Okay. But the point I'm trying to make is that all those hundreds of years of flooding and drying meant that under the dust on the valley floor, the land was actually pretty rich for okay. desert. Sure. It's yeah. actually some of the richest agricultural land in the state, in fact, and all you need to grow crops throughout the valley is... 
a little bit of fresh water. Okay. And like I said, the Colorado River is just like a stone's throw to the east. So Governor Bud and his buddies look at the dirt and a map. They get hungry for a nice salad. They want some vegetables. They want to raise some cattle. They decide that what they need is a canal system. Yeah. Okay. This is absolutely the correct decision. For five years, the valley is just bright green. Any vegetable you can think of just absolutely loves it there. Sure. They're able to grow bumper crops of alfalfa, broccoli, cabbage, wheat, corn, etc. And like overnight, agriculture is a major economic force in the area. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's it's like instant farmland. It's really incredible. Uh, However, one thing I want to tell you about the Colorado River is that it's real dirty. Like it just runs with a lot of sediment because it's coming down from the mountains. Yeah. Uh, So it tends to like silt up a lot. Okay. This isn't well, that makes sense. intervention of humankind. It's just like the way the water runs. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. In 1905, one of the major canals feeding the valley starts silting up, and it's almost completely clogged when the Colorado River floods that spring due to an unusually high snowmelt and rain. So as we saw in Johnstown, okay. a huge volume of water trapped above a dam, in this case a clogged canal, will find its way to a lower point, usually with a lot of drama. Yeah, And that's what happens here. The flood pours into two ancient dry riverbeds and down into the valley. In a matter of hours, the entire Colorado River is draining into the Salton Trough instead of the Gulf of California, where it belongs. Okay. What a naughty river. That is, yeah, that's not what you're supposed to do, river. Nope. Jeez, okay. So there's no drainage from the valley, it's just like a bowl. Sure. And by the time people are able to control the flow of the water, there's this giant freshwater lake sitting at the deepest point of the valley. Okay. The land belonging to the Torres Martinez Coahuila tribe is underwater, and so are hundreds of acres of cabbage farm and a salt mine. Uh, There's a lot of property damage. There's a lot of flooding, obviously. I couldn't find any fatalities, but I'm sure that... Yeah. I'm sure that people got hurt during this. However, the people living in the Salton Trough, which is now occupied by this brand new lake, the Salton Sea, they weren't very creative about naming these, unfortunately. They decide they're going to make lemonade out of lemons or lemonade out of Colorado River water and lemons out of the now irrigated land. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll go along with that. I'm looking for like a, like an agricultural. You did fine. (laughs) moment here it's a struggle it's a struggle yeah (laughs) don't like mixing my metaphors okay at any rate the imperial irrigation district gets established in 1911 and they immediately begin buying up water utility companies and forming this massive public agency so what they want is to be in control of all the water and all the irrigation in the valley okay this works for a long time they start building canal networks and getting into electrical power By 1915, again, very, very quickly, Imperial Valley has 300,000 acres of farmland, and now they're providing fresh vegetables, um, large-scale staple crops like wheat and corn, and livestock to most of the country. Wow. Okay. So this is a resounding success, apart from that little flooding, and everything's great. Yeah, and that's the end of the episode. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, wait. <laughs> Until... <laughs> Forgot to scroll down. Sorry. Oh, uh, 
So all this agriculture is supported by the Colorado River, which right. is now flowing through the valley in the All-American Canal, which is this enormous it, aqueduct. It permanently changed course then due to that flood. The Colorado River at this point is one of those rivers that's been kind of engineered to the point where... Gotcha. Okay. Yep. It's not really allowed to do anything on its own anymore. <gasps> it's all canals. Uh, and then it kind of gets lost in this delta sure. of farmland and desert. Sure. Okay. All right. Which is a problem because obviously we're not going to get into the water wars in California on this episode because yep. we'll be here all night. Yep. But the Colorado River is like the major lifeline for freshwater in this part of the yeah. country. So it's important. And uh, you would hope that everyone has equal access to it. And that is often not the case. Yeah. But it is supporting all this agriculture, and it's carrying water from the Imperial Dam in Yuma, Arizona, all the way down to the city of Calexico, which you might be able to guess is right on the border of California and Mexico. Okay. So it's running straight through Imperial County. That's 80 miles of canal, and the canal itself is running 20 to 25,000 cubic feet of water per second down into the valley. Okay. Wow. Now, as it runs along the valley, yeah, it's just a massive amount of fresh yeah. water. Massive. Um, as it runs into the valley, it gets smaller and smaller because these five, like, slightly less massive canals branch off into the valley. Sure. And those have, like, a network of smaller canals yep. branching off. It distributes the water everywhere it's... it needs to go. Right. But the important thing is the canal is bringing water in. Right. It's not bringing any water out. So there's no drainage at all. It's all getting used okay. up. Okay, okay, yeah. Is the impression that I got. Gotcha, okay. <laughs> the drainage is the Salton Sea. Right, okay. So by the 1920s, we have this rapidly expanding agricultural system fed by the Colorado and this enormous freshwater lake sitting at the lowest point of the valley. Again, it's a bowl. There's no outlet to this brand new lake. Water coming down the canal system goes into the Imperial Valley, and it doesn't come out except through evaporation. Obviously, it's very hot and dry. Right. And there's a very slight amount of soaking into the aquifer, like a, a negligible sure. amount. Sure, yeah. Now, this isn't a problem for years and years. People are farming. They're bringing in electricity with all those power plants. Okay. Uh, the railroad is doing big business. Sure. And towns and settlement are springing up all over the valley. Uh, the military is even there. The Navy builds a base at the head of the valley in the desert. And during World War One, sorry, World War Two, the second one... Uh, they are training all kinds of pilots, and they're training parachuters. Okay. So apparently, like, <laughs> the desert is an excellent place to train people how to use parachutes. Sure. And how to make safe landings. Very soft. Sure. Hey, soft. why not? But in the 1930s and 40s, the lake becomes a big draw. So from the moment it's formed, it's the largest lake in the southwestern U.S. Okay. And even though it's shrunk a lot over the past hundred years, it still is. It's huge. It's shallow. It's only about nine meters deep at the deepest. Okay. But it covers a lot of ground, and the water is really calm and really warm, and it's been stocked with a bunch of freshwater fish. <laughs> so by the late 1950s, it's the most productive fishery in the state. Like, these people really go all out with their agriculture. Sure, yeah. They are using every last inch. Okay. And now they are a resort destination. Uh, so for a brief shining moment in the 1940s through the 1970s, the Salton Sea is just like a popular place to go spend a long weekend with your family. 
I watched a little movie from the 60s called Sultan City, A Miracle in the Desert, <laughs> which I highly recommend if you love mid-century weirdness. Yep. Um, but I learned a lot about why it was popular. Okay. So if you live or work in L.A., it's a really easy jump to the Imperial Valley. It's only about 100 or 130 miles. And in the movie, you get to see all these little resort towns that are kind of sprinkled around. The movie actually calls it the Sultan Riviera, which I think is a little much, <laughs> but you can see where they're going. <laughs> I It's basically I love like that. that's great. All tourists. Sure. Yeah. Like everything you could want on your weekend away. They've got these beautiful, like wide sandy beaches. They've got these yacht clubs so you can bring your <laughs> motorboat. In nine meter water. Enjoy. I mean, it's great water at this point. Sure. There's excellent fishing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you could go for the weekend just for the fishing. You can do water skiing, very popular, uh, swimming, sunbathing. To give you some idea of how ridiculous this place got, there are 37 golf courses. What? In Imperial County <laughs> during the 1950s. Uh, oh, my God. Okay. 37. Yeah, that is instructive. And at first I was like, <laughs> well, maybe they're playing like sand golf, but it's actual like grass uh, okay they have a pga course at one point wow and of course it's like the movie builds it as this place where you can get a lot of fresh air out of the city sure sure the sultan riviera okay it actually sounds wonderful um part of the point of the movie was to sell you on real estate investment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. naturally the prices that they quote are like they sound insane to me. Okay. They're talking about thousands of dollars per acre, like within Sultan City and uh, Bombay Beach. Yep. And the prices for waterfront property are by the foot, and they sound really high. Okay. They range to like $500 to $1,000 a foot of waterfront property. In 1930s money. No, 1960s. Oh, in 1960s money. Okay. That's still, yeah. that's still a lot. Right, but I think part of the point of the movie was to get you to kind of like see this as an investment place oh, yeah. or a place yeah, to yeah. have a second home or a retirement property. Like it's a combination. It's this weird combination of like Sun City, Arizona, because they talk a lot about how safe and reasonable everything is. Sure, sure. And like, I don't know, beachfront property in Malibu. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I get it. It's the Sultan Riviera. Who wouldn't want to live right. there? Right, naturally. But it's not super fancy. Okay. Like a lot of the property that they talk about are trailer parks and mobile homes. Okay. Even those are expensive. Sure. But it's definitely middle class, upper middle class. It's not, sure. It's okay. not Malibu exclusivity. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So aside from the regular vacationers, uh, Frank Sinatra is a regular. Nice. Okay. And so are the Beach Boys. They perform there and they also vacation there. Mm. Well, there is a beach. So you know, if the Beach Boys were on the beach, yeah. <laughs> it was a good beach. Yeah. There's absolutely no surfing at the Salton Sea, by the way. One would think. One thing yeah, you can't I do. Mean... <laughs> okay. Uh, so at one point in the 1950s, the Salton Sea is welcoming 500,000 visitors a year. Okay. So that's way more than Palm Springs, which is the closest other resort town. Sure. And it's almost as many as Yosemite. Wow. Wow. So Good. if you think about how many people like descend on Yosemite per year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... To feed the bears. <laughs> <laughs> there are also no bears at uh, the Salton Sea. Sure. Okay. Selling point there. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I'm surprised the movie didn't emphasize that. No bears, <laughs> no sharks. <laughs> However, nothing nice lasts forever. Sure. I don't know if you've 
realize that by your advanced age. <laughs> I'm a little older, so I can tell you. <laughs> it's all an illusion, Greg. Yep. Everything collapses. Yep. In the 1970s, some problems begin to crop up. Now, one of these problems is salinity. Yeah. I told you before, a salt mine was flooded when the Salton Sea was formed. Yeah. So there are salt deposits under the lake bed, but that's not why the Salton Sea is salty. Okay. I'm sorry, this is such a tongue twister. The Salton Sea is salty? The Salton Sea in the Salton Sink is super salty. <laughs> that's not why it's salty. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so by the time those increasingly huge farms and feedlots are beginning to drain into the lake, with that runoff, like with that dirty water, yeah. is coming a massive amount of salt. Yep chemical fertilizer, pesticides, and manure, yeah. all of which contain chemicals, chemical compounds, bacteria that we maybe were not aware of as being... Bad? Sure. <laughs> I mean, wasn't there a time when people used DDT to treat mosquitoes? Yes. Like, we were very optimistic in the 40s, 50s, and 60s about our chemicals. Uh... So by the end of the 70s, all that expensive real estate has crashed. The water is too filthy to sell the area as like a vacation beach destination. Yep. And in the 1980s, the fish start dying because those freshwater fish can't survive the increasing salinity plus those huge blooms of algae and bacteria. Yep. It's also shrinking. Okay, sure. That makes sense. Because farms are becoming more efficient about the way that they're using water. And uh, also, it's getting a little hotter and a little drier. Hat tip to climate change, a key supporting player here. Okay. And testing in the 80s and 90s shows just massive increases in things that should not be in water, such as, like we said, DDT, cyanobacteria, and arsenic. Okay. I mean, there's lead, mercury. Yeah. It's a really depressing list. Sure. I don't want to read the whole thing. Just real bad. Real bad stuff. Gotcha. By the turn of the century, the water in the Salton Sea is not just, like, mildly troublesome. It's actually poisonous. Okay. The problem has to do with the shrinking. So those little resort towns are literally just high and dry on this playa, the exposed dried lake bed. Okay. Which is now, instead of being, like, lake bed, it's full of dead trout. It's uh -huh. full of dead fish, yep. just in general. Yep. And as it dries... It turns into this increasingly toxic sludge, sort of. But then it dries, and it starts becoming airborne. Oh, even better. Right? Which is not what you want no, with your DDT not generally. <laughs> remnants. You don't want your lead just sort of in breathable form. <laughs> no, you want it buried deep in the earth. Yeah. Or maybe like in paint or something. Eh. Paint that's carefully marked. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's not what is happening here. There is just this chemical soup getting more and more concentrated, and now we have toxic dust. Okay. In uh, 2015, the Smog Control Agency in Los Angeles, uh, which must be a fascinating place to work. Yes. Can you imagine what's in the air over Los Angeles? I don't want to. I bet they do, though. I, I bet they could tell they you They could about tell it. us everything we needed to know about it. Uh, which is... That, well, what they do basically is give advisories for air quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Los Angeles famously has very poor air quality and beautiful sunsets. <laughs> but in 2015, they start noticing elevated levels of hydrogen sulfide, which was traced right back to the Salton Sea's mm, emissions. Oh, no. okay. Hydrogen sulfide is toxic to humans, and you can tell you're breathing it in because it reeks of rotten eggs. Yeah. 
It's one of those handy chemicals where you take one breath and you're like, oh, humans shouldn't be Should not be that. breathing this, yeah. It doesn't sneak up on you. No. It's got a lot of branding that really announces it. <laughs> Sulfur's good like that. It, it's very clear when it's there. You know what you're getting. Los Angeles, as I mentioned before, is 130 miles west of the yep. Salton Sea. So if they're smelling rotten eggs, try to imagine how bad it must be for the people living near the lake and near that blowing around yeah. playa. Uh. Uh, we're going to take a quick sidebar for the fish. We'll get back to the people. People are more important than fish. Okay. But let's sidebar on the fish first. Sure. As the lake gets saltier and more poisonous, they are rapidly dying off. The freshwater fish are the first to go. Yep. Uh, they have these events called die-offs, yep. where there's just like, you know, an algae bloom that causes oxygen deprivation, or it's like some chemical runoff, and just like hundreds of thousands of fish will die all at once. Yeah. In 1999, they set a record when 7.6 million fish oh my God. die in one day from a combination of heat and algae oh that leads God. to massive oxygen starvation. Yep, it's pretty bad. Wow. It's pretty bad. Okay. They had catfish in there. The catfish couldn't take it. Yeah, yeah. Catfish can survive anything, and if they can't live in there... Anything. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the remaining fish are mostly tilapia, this incredibly tough fish. Yep. They're actually considered an invasive species in some places. Yep. They've been farmed for a long time in America, but also in China and the Middle East. Mm -hmm. They were introduced as part of this kind of freshwater stocking back in the 50s. Sure. Sure. Tilapia are okay with brackish water, and they don't collect heavy metals as fast as other fish. So that's why they're able to hang on. Okay. Of course, greatly reduced numbers. Yeah. They're not doing great. Nothing is thriving in here. Right. But the tilapia, at least, are still alive. Jeez. And the desert pupfish, which is native to the lake and extremely endangered, appears to still be present in some of the cleaner wetland areas. Wow. Okay. Yeah. How is anything native to there? I don't know. So I read that before, and I was like, I think it's one of those fish that is also kind of an amphibian that, like, comes out when it rains and just, like, hibernates underground. But I could be totally wrong. Jeez, yeah. I'd be interested to learn more about that. Those, that, that Maybe is they came with the river water. Well, that's the only thing I can think of. But then they wouldn't be native to just there. They'd be you'd, – you'd see them further up the river. Oh, you know what happened? They saw that movie, and they all bought waterfront property, but from the side of the water. Uh, see, I knew it had to be targeted at the fish. They can't afford to move out nope, now. No, they're stuck with their investment. Mm. And they're underwater it's... on it. <laughs> no, I'm not giving you that one. <laughs> I was going to make some horrible joke about scales, though, so at least yours is better than mine. It's only funny because I lived through 2008. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, a pain to laughter. Yep, yep, <clears throat> yep. All right, so people do think that the desert pupfish is still there. Nobody knows how they're hanging on. Okay, okay. However, the remaining fish in the Salton Sea have incredibly high levels of toxins and bacteria. So even the tilapia, which are still hanging on, are not healthy. It's not a healthy population. Sure, yeah. So when the birds eat them, they, of course, absorb uh, all that junk, yeah. which is not good for birds, <laughs> and I don't love it. Uh, bad meals and increasingly gross water because they're also like stopping to drink and take. Oh a bath. sure, yeah, like you do. Right, on a it's it's a road trip for them. They're they're migrating. They're migrating. Yeah, this exactly. is this is a truck stop. This is the only truck stop for like hundreds of miles. 
Okay. So they're stuck with the disgusting water and the terrible junk food. Okay. So by 2015, bird watchers are noting that fewer birds are visiting and some species of cormorants and grebes are completely gone. Oof. So they're not bothering to stop at all. Yeah, which is for the better. Obviously, that's not healthy for a migrating population because right. if they're not getting water here, they're maybe not making it across the Sonoran right. Desert. But right. Yeah, it's not good. It's just all around not good. Yeah. In uh, 2002, sorry, we're jumping back and forth. It's okay. It's okay. I apologize. I'm keeping up. Uh, in 2002, the Imperial Irrigation District starts restructuring their canal system to serve San Diego County, which is rapidly expanding and desperately in need of fresh water. Okay. And in exchange for this, the state of California takes on the Salton Sea. Okay. Now, they make this agreement... All of the agreements that the state of California makes around the Salton Sea are incredibly complicated. Yeah. Even the overviews, like if you read the abstract of some of the reports that are generated, they're just like, I couldn't follow them. It's like tons and tons of stakeholders. Right. Um, the money is coming from different parts of the budget. Nobody really seems to be like in an oversight position for the whole project. Uh, okay. It's a lot of cooks. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> a lot like. of cooks in a small, really underfunded kitchen. Okay. So the state of California is supposed to start a cleanup and maintenance project like the moment the IID hands over the Salton Sea to them. But they just like kind of, I don't want to say they don't do anything because they do collect some data and uh, make some reports and try and budget. Yeah. <laughs> but there's no major, like there's no... Nobody steps in and really starts making progress okay. the minute the IID moves out. Okay. They kind of just like start thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put together a five-year committee. Right. Only they get 15 years. To decide what the... Because yeah. part of the agreement is that as the IID is building aqueducts to San Diego, they're also adding water to the Salton Sea so it doesn't dry up completely. Now, it's not clean water. Like, it's not... It's that same kind of agricultural runoff. Okay. But at least it's keeping the lake full-ish. So it's keeping that playa underwater. Sure. Okay. It's a stopgap solution. Yeah. They're just like keeping it wet. Sure. <laughs> until the state can step in with all their state <laughs> money and uh, fix it. Yeah. And then it's 2017. The agreement ends and the IID stops sending that runoff water to the Salton Sea. Yep. It immediately begins to shrink, like dramatically. Because by 2017, I don't know if you recall, uh, climate change is really having a great year. Yeah. We had oh, yeah. a lot of really hot record-setting temperatures. Yep. We had... A lot of wildfires. We had. Oh, so we had hurricanes. Lots of hurricanes. Low precipitation. Yeah. Boy, it was a great year. Uh, I've already covered the birds and the fish. Yeah. I thought we could talk about humans now. Yay! Despite the vast amount of food coming out of Imperial County, and when I say vast, you and I have both eaten vegetables from there. Sure. We've both eaten meat from there. We've had all kinds of like corn and wheat products that originated there. I feel like pretty much everybody in the United States has probably touched something that's come out of this valley. Well, we've probably eaten. That's what I mean. More than you would think. You know how they talk about like the breadbasket of the country? Sure. That like sure. belt of wheat and corn farms. This is like the the produce section of the country. Okay. So a lot of, even if you're eating, even if the only vegetables you get are like frozen vegetables or vegetables in canned soup. They're probably coming from there. Something, right. Cool. It's just a massive, massive agricultural system. Okay. Okay. 
but despite that, it's one of the least populated areas of the state. So the people who are suffering the most from that toxic dust are the communities of Latino farm workers, yep. the Torres Martinez Cahuilla Reservation north of the lake, and the towns of Salton Sea and Bombay Beach, as well as the smaller communities. All of those struggle with high poverty rates, poor public services, and some pretty horrific health problems, yeah. as you would expect if you were living in a toxic waste dump, a cloud of rotten egg yeah. smells. Uh, so that's the bad. Yeah. We'll get back to that in a minute. But quick sidebar. <laughs> okay. The area is still remarkably like beautiful and interesting, particularly the incredible sunsets, the landscape, and the birds, and you know parts of. The abandoned architecture of Salton City and Bombay Beach and these other kind of little towns that got built and then were never really occupied. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Okay. So in, in the last 10 years, especially, a lot of filmmakers and photographers and kind of outsider artists have been drawn to the area. Okay. Uh, sidebar within a sidebar okay. for the town of Bombay Beach, which holds a yearly Biennale, <laughs> uh, which I love. It's so subversive. Sure. Yeah. No, do it. <laughs> They describe it as, quote, a renegade celebration of art, music, and philosophy. I just want to tell you about some recent projects because I read about them and they're like unbelievably cool. Okay. One of the installations in uh, the 2019 show, which was the last big one, it was called the Museum of Unwanted Architecture and it displayed unbuilt models and project plans from architects all over the world. Oh, cool. And it was installed in a falling down building that had once been, once been beachfront property. I, I think that's really cool. I think when you think about contemporary art today, yeah, um, there's a kind of sterility to like the gallery setting oh, sure. and yeah, yeah. the contemporary art market. And this is not that. This is like an incredibly like alive, vivid, creative place to make art. Very cool. And earlier installation added rusted out cars, just to give you another example. <laughs> they added a neon sign and a blank movie screen to a vacant lot. One review described the piece as a drive-in movie theater long past the rapture. Yep. Which is perfection. That's exactly what I it is. I think that's fantastic. Other more permanent art projects in the area are East Jesus, which is a habitable art installation in Slab City, south of the Salton Sea. I know Slab City. Do you? I do. Slab City's very interesting. I didn't realize it was I didn't realize it was right there. Yeah, it's south of Yeah. Okay. Because it's, I think it's like closer to Calexico, like closer to the Mexican border, but it's in the desert. Okay. It's yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not near the farmland. Uh, dear listeners, if you have not heard of Slab City, uh, do some reading on it. It's really interesting. They have a really short Wikipedia page, but every <laughs> sentence you're like, what? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's definitely got to be accurate. It's really hard to describe. It's kind of like this experimental, dynamic, found object sculpture garden. That's the closest I could get. Sure. Uh, but they also host performance art and music events. Yeah. So it's like a really chill Burning Man. <laughs> and it goes on forever. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the other art landmark near Slab City is Salvation Mountain, which is this incredible piece of religious folk art that could be described as a habitable sculpture garden, although nobody lives there. Okay. East Jesus is a collaborative effort, but Salvation Mountain was built mostly by one artist. He had a couple of assistants, um, but it's mostly the work of Leonard Knight, who built and painted this kind of adobe and wood grotto that you can walk through. Cool. It is one of the brightest things I've ever seen. It's impossible to miss. Okay. It's a really cool, like, immersive... I would like to walk through it sometime. Sure. 
Okay. Okay. So this is the area around Salton Sea is this very cool, kind of interesting, highly Instagrammable area. <laughs> okay. But of course, those spectacular sunsets over the Bombay Beach Biennale are due to extremely high air pollution rates, yeah. which translates to an abundance of respiratory disease in an already vulnerable mm. and underserved population. Yep. Air quality is some of the worst in the country, with a 2017 University of Southern California research study finding significant public health issues. And these are airborne, yeah. airborne problems, so high rates of bronchitis and asthma, especially severe symptoms seen because, of course, in elementary school age children. Yeah. Don't love it. Yep. Other local problems directly linked to air quality are a variety of other lung and respiratory problems, uh, skin diseases... And I really hate this one, Yeah. but I feel like I should mention it because I came across it in two studies. Severe nosebleeds in infants. <sighs> like if there is a more troubling yeah. environmental health sign than a crowd of babies with unstoppable bloody noses, I don't want to hear about yeah. it. That's that's like, yeah, no. Yeah. Do you know how hard babies are to keep alive? <laughs> I do. I do, in fact, know that. Yeah, that's that's horrifying. Wow. Okay. You would think just by the babies with bloody noses that the state or the federal government would be doing something. Um, but that's not this podcast. No. I actually expected to find out that some kind of like super fun sure, project yeah, was in the yeah, works. But no. Well, the EPA is interested in cleaning up the Navy base, which closed in the 1960s, <laughs> but it's not on their national priorities list. Sure. So they're like monitoring, but not yeah. intervening. Yeah. And the Salted Sea as a whole seems to be more of like a state of California problem than a federal one. Okay. And it's unclear how much the various corporations are actually responsible for the pollution. If you can't identify who to who to charge for it, you can't who to get sue. The money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't pay for the cleanup. Okay. That's my understanding, but feel free to send me an email and let me know I got that wrong. Yep. So even if nobody in the state government cares about the residents and laborers and babies yeah. living in the Salton Trough, surely the problem of all that toxic dust blowing over to San Diego and Los Angeles would, like, trip some alarms, right? Sure. Fairly large population. So in 2017, the same year the IID stopped adding mitigation water to the Salton Sea, yep. The state of California's Water Resources Department and some other state agencies finally published a 10-year plan for cleanup and management that focuses mainly on public health and wildlife habitats. Okay. So the plan is to keep the water at a stable level to avoid the problem of exposed playa drying up and flowing away. Yeah. And at the same time to try and get the lake a little cleaner, which again is a problem. Yeah. Uh, they originally... Mm. These sweet summer children asked for $8.9 from the state. Aww. That was going to get the project done properly and fast. That's adorable. I know. I love their optimism. I I'm know. sure they had some great infographics and budget <laughs> breakdowns. Um, so that would have involved building a canal and a pipeline to the Sea of Cortez, which okay. is at least 100 miles away, depending on the deal they could get with Mexico. It might have been as much as a 500-mile pipeline. Okay. So that would create an outlet to the lake, which would provide much needed circulation. After yeah. 10 years of negotiating, uh, guess how much money they received of the $8.9 billion? <laughs> uh, five bucks and a candy bar wrapper. $200 million. That's which nowhere great. near what they needed for this kind of project. Yeah, I think as the Imperial Irrigation District could tell you, it's not build a 100-mile-long canal money. No. 
it's like buy everybody a shovel and get going on your ditch money. <laughs> but good luck. Then President Barack Obama promised another thirty million in twenty sixteen. You may remember that was an election year. Yeah. Uh, the next president did not deliver upon that thirty million. As far as I can tell, the cleanup project is not on the current president's plate at all. <sighs> Part of the problem is that the Salton Sea is seen as an industrial accident from the time it was created in that 1905 flood. Okay. So the argument is, if it shouldn't be there in the first place, why are we going to bother to keep refilling it? You know, it's a tremendous cost, even if that's all it, all we're doing is just keeping it at a constant level. So there's a lot of controversy about how the water from the Colorado River gets used yeah. in this area. And some people just see it as a waste to keep this huge lake going in the middle of the increasingly hotter and drier desert when there are nearby towns and farms that desperately need that fresh sure, water. Yeah. So the simplest and cheapest solution is to just let it dry up and just deal with the air pollution until all of that toxic dust just blows away, which shouldn't take more than a few thousand years. Yeah. No, that's that, they're taking the long view. They're they're yeah. they're not getting caught up in the moment. You know, they're not reacting they're being to the very moment. Zen about it. Exactly. <laughs> All life is suffering. Yep. We might as well have a giant toxic waste site. There you go. However, the Salton Sea exists in a depression where there have been lakes for thousands of years at least, okay. which is why I told you about Lake Kauia. Yep. Just the geography of the area, the nature of the river means that it's gonna flood once in a while. There's gonna be a lake there some of the time. Sure. So scientists and environmentalists on the other side of the issue argue that it benefits us more in the long run to clean up the water, both to improve public health, protect the existing freshwater and agriculture, and make life better for the birds. Won't someone please think of the birds? <laughs> sure. As of 2022, there are some projects underway thanks to the 2021 Salton Sea Projects Improvement Act, okay. which designated about $220 million to mitigation work. Most of that money is going towards projects that involve wetland restoration and bringing in vegetation to fight erosion, which is kind of the first step to cleaning up the air sure. quality. One frustrating thing about waiting so long, because remember, people started recognizing and researching this problem 50 years ago, yeah. is that salinity and chemical runoff in the water has changed drastically since initial studies yeah. began on the lake, sometimes decades before, and even the more recent studies... You know, yeah. it's hard to make a plan without knowing exactly how bad the water is. Yeah. So a lot of what's currently going on is trying to get updated information on real life conditions. So, for example, they have salinity studies to kind of pinpoint the exact level of salt. Yeah. Uh, NASA has a platform in the water for ongoing water quality testing, which is like general kind of general data on the algae and the chemicals present in the water okay. and that data gets collected and analyzed by programs at university of california davis and the jet propulsion laboratory which i thought was interesting cool as well as the u.s department of fish and wildlife uh yeah. i'm just gonna burst your bubble none of these things the salinity the mercury the lead uh the ddt the algae the bacteria none of that is getting better right it's a question of how much worse it's gotten since the problems were first identified yeah yeah. You ready for a small glimmer of hope? Uh, <laughs> you sound like you're ready for a small glimmer of hope. I, I'm, I'm worried about a small glimmer of hope. Don't worry, it's going to be Okay. Great. One small glimmer of hope. Mm -hmm. 
The area around the Salton Sea is thought to be the largest lithium deposit in the country. Oh, for goodness sake. No, this is good. This is good. Uh, car manufacturers are looking to shift into electric cars, yep. and they are going to need lithium. lithium for their batteries. Yeah, so we're yep. just going to strip mine the whole area on top of everything else. No, because even... <laughs> really? Even GM is saying, we don't want to strip mine. Really? <laughs> in the Salton Sea. Huh, that's... You set the bar really low, and then sometimes people surprise you and rise above yeah. it. Yeah, okay. Uh, there are currently 11 geothermal power plants at the Salton Sea. Yeah. And the idea is that lithium extraction could take place under the power from those plants, which is now being sold to electrical grids in Arizona. Okay. So the mining company swears up and down that the process could take place with very little environmental impact. Basically, it would involve <laughs> drilling down to these vast brine pools way underground, okay. which is where the lithium lives. Yep. They would then pump the water up using clean energy from those geothermal plants. They would extract the lithium and then return the water to the underground pools. Well, okay. You can see it, right? Sure. Okay. If that turns out to be possible and everyone agrees that the environmental and public health impact will be minimal, this is where the state may require the companies involved either keep the Salton Sea water level stable or bring in the big solution, which would be that canal right. slash pipeline from another body of water. Which would provide an outlet for the Salton Sea and a way for the water to circulate and get cleaner, rinsing out that algae, yep. maybe bringing in some fresh fish to keep the tilapia company. <laughs> With the kind of money and interest in like homegrown American lithium, yeah. plus the updated data from those newer studies, the Salton Sea might just get cleaned up. Well, stranger things have happened. At the moment, however, it remains one of the most polluted lakes in the country. Yeah. And one of the worst and most fascinating environmental disasters of the 20th and 21st, and hopefully not the 22nd <laughs> centuries. Yeah. And that is the story of the Salton Sea. Wow. Aren't you glad you didn't buy beachfront property there in the 70s? Yeah, I mean, there's no part of that story that isn't massively disappointing. <laughs> it's a real downer, and I apologize. It's all right. It's all right. Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact-check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to shame us publicly... And we know you do. <laughs> why not use our Instagram, at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion. And please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My brother has selected our next disaster. I am afraid to ask. What do you have for us? <laughs> well, <clears throat> how are you feeling about bugs these days, Ella? You know, Greg, I don't feel good about bugs. I'm a... I'm a Oh. anti-bug person i understand they're valuable to the food chain i don't like them i don't like them well, at all you are really not gonna like this next one then because we are going back to 1874 mm -hmm. when a beyond biblical plague of locusts descended on american farmland and utterly destroyed it Ugh. We're going to be talking about the Locust Plague of 1874. I just got all itchy thinking about a cloud of locusts coming down from the sky. Yeah. All right. 
Uh, can't wait to hear more about that. So I never sleep again.